gone from a series in February about prayer into hope. And we looked at the beginning of March at how the lament was a prayer that had, you know, some, a little, sometimes like a little bit of anger to it, like a little bit of like, oh my gosh, like I'm so mad at you, God, that this is happening in my life, or I'm so mad at the situation. But the lament was something that people would give to God because at the end of pulling all that sorrow out of them and being honest about how they were feeling, they would then turn that prayer into hope and acknowledging, but even though I'm going through this, you are great, and you are good, and you are strong, and I put my hope in you that this will change. And about one-third of the Psalms are praise. The book of Psalms, if, if you've never read it, it's in the Old Testament. It's about 130-some chapters. I might be wrong. I might be 150. I don't remember. But a third of it is praising God, but two-thirds of it is lamenting. And it's interesting when you read a psalm like that, and, and in the beginning, you know, like David a lot of times would be the one that would be lamenting, and he'd be like, so mad. And you're reading it, and you're like, how can this be in the Bible? Like, is he calling God names? Like, you know, what's going on here, right? And then as you keep reading, he then says, but you are good and you are great, and you have always, you know, taken care of me, and I now ask you to help me with this situation. And what I love about reading through the Psalms or understanding a lament is that we have permission to be human, because there's not one of us that have ever been in a horrible situation that liked it. We might not be saying something, but we, but we are thinking it. I don't I mean, I don't know about you, right? On the outside, you might be like, oh, honey, it's all right, you know, like, but inside, you're like, oh, my gosh, right? Your dog just peed on my carpet. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. We'll clean that right up. Accidents happen, right? You're like, don't you bring that dog back here again. I'm being, you know, have you, I'm sure somebody's had that happen to them before. I'm sure I'm not the only one. And we know accidents happen. We know our dog, when it was a puppy, probably did the same thing. But the reality is, as a human being, with self-control, we might be saying the right things, but in our head, we're thinking that lament. And so when we go back through these scriptures and we see that David would have those moments, he just would be real. And I love how David understood this concept God knows I'm thinking it anyway. And if I just say it out loud and I get it all out, then I'm not going to keep stewing about it. I'm not going to keep having it be, you know, thought in my head. I'm just going to, I'm going to say it to him. Hey, I'm really mad. I'm really hurt. I'm really upset. And rather than him go to his officials, or rather than him go and tell all of his people, he would go to God. And I think that's the biggest difference between David and us today, is we have this thought, well, I'm not allowed to go to God, so I go tell whoever. 
or I hold it in and it festers until it just bursts out of me. But David really understood this concept and talked before about like prayer journaling and how, you know, for David, you know, he would just write it down. And that's what we're reading then back is all these different people who wrote down their praising to God or their lamenting to God. But he never ended it with just the complaint. A lament is more than a complaint. A lament is I'm complaining and now I'm asking you for help and then I'm acknowledging how great you are because my, my hope now is in you. So a lament has the ending of hope. So as we have been saying, okay, we've been just taught we should pray and this is how we should pray and this is what the Bible says about prayer. Now we're looking at what are some ways that they prayed and were really honest and raw, but ended it with hope. And that is powerful when we can get to that point. So last week we looked at David and Goliath. And we saw how David walked around to the army of Israel and said, what will happen if someone takes him out? And they began, they would have to repeat, well, they'll get the king's daughter. They don't have to pay taxes. And he would then go to another group and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine coming against the armies of the living God? What will happen if we take him out? And what we saw was David was very aware when he arrived there that they were in crisis, that they were in a battle. It said every time Goliath came out, all of the army of Israel ran and hid. And David walked around and reminded them, that guy? I don't see a nine-foot-tall guy. I see an uncircumcised Philistine trying to talk to us, the army of the living God. What will happen if we take him out? And he was trying to instill hope in them and get their eyes off of the physical realm, which was, this guy is huge, and get their eyes on the spiritual realm. We serve the living God. Let's have hope. Because in the spirit, he's nothing. And so, of course, we finished the story and saw how, how David not only took Goliath out, but then encouraged all the guys who were running away to then chase after the Philistines, and they killed them all the way out of town. But those stories of hope remind us as human beings how we need to be reminded, yes, there's a complaint, right? Yes, there's something bad going on in your life. But if you're not reminded to stop looking at the physical, stop seeing what you can do, and instead say, what can the living God that I serve do? And that's where I'm going to put my hope. So the biggest thing that stops us from being able to do that is when our focus is not on the spiritual end of it and instead is on the situation. So Philippians 4, starting in verse 6, reminds us, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this directive from Paul to the church in Philippi, especially during that time. Christians would be blamed for things. They would be martyred. They would be, you know, attacked. And he was saying, in every situation, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Instead, go to God in prayer, right? Tell him your lament. Have that hope. And be thankful what has he helped you with. When you remind yourself of what God has done in the past, then you'll be encouraged then, just like David did. Hey, when a lion came after me, I didn't slay the lion because I'm so amazing. I slayed the lion because the living God was with me. Right? When the bear came after me, you know, the living God was with me. And so he was thankful for overcoming problems in the past. And with that knowledge, he was confident that God would help him in the future. So we sometimes forget about those times when God showed up in our lives. We need to have a, a brag board, but for God, right? A lot of us, you know, when you have young kids, you, you put up a bulletin board and you put all their little awards or their ribbons they get at school and you like them to see that. And, but we need to see and have a spot where we put a reminder of, hey, when I had that, you know, electric bill and I was 50 bucks short, all of a sudden, out of the blue, something came in the mail, or, or out of the blue, this happened, or, you know, I've told you stories before of healings and different things, so, you know, if you've had one of those stories where, well, the doctor said there was something on my liver, but then he looked and it was gone, and you knew you had the elders of the church praying, that's one of those things you put on that board, because you don't want to forget it, you want to be reminded of that. And it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Most of the time, we don't think about what is good. We think about what is going on that's bad. I do it. Sometimes you, like, your head gets so stuck in this loop, you can't snap out of it. Sometimes you're aware of it. I got to stop thinking about this. I got to stop thinking about this. There was a time when I was working a job. I'd come home every night, just, oh, horrible mood. And after a while, I'm like, I have to stop thinking about this. I've got to do something different. And I know I've shared this before, but at the time, you could have a DVR if you had cable, and you could record certain shows. And so I would record America's Most Funniest Videos. And so I would come home, and I would sit, and I would watch one. And if I did not laugh out loud by the end, I would watch another one. And I wouldn't allow myself to get up and deal with my kids doing anything until I was laughing out loud. And it just put me in a better mood. It like got my focus off of what was going on. Most times, within the first 10 minutes, I was laughing. I'd feel much better. Every once in a while, I had to watch two. Just saying. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I know this is hard. And we all have our own situations. They're all kind of different. But as we continue the rest of this month looking at stories of hope, sometimes 
we forget what people have gone through, and it's nice to be reminded of that. So last week we looked at David and Goliath, and this week I wanted to look at Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Some of you know the story, and some of you are going, who? What? Right? Is, is that a person? Is that a place? Like, what is that? Okay, so these three guys. I'm going to tell you the backstory. When David died, his son Solomon became the king, and he was on the throne, and they had amassed a lot of wealth. David had gone and had conquered and fought, and now they are in a place where other kings would bring them whatever they needed because they just wanted to be at peace with the Israelites because they were strong, and if anybody picked a fight with them, their God would always show up. And sometimes, though, when you have a period of peace, and Solomon never experienced war, he never had to wonder if anybody would ever fear the might of the Israelites, you kind of make stupid decisions. So Solomon was not afraid to show off all of the wealth. Eventually what happened is Solomon dies, there's different kings that come on, And because they had never struggled and had to ask God to ever help them, they kind of stopped talking to God. And so the Israeli people then began to encounter the enemies, realizing, oh, they're not as strong as they used to be. And rather than go to God and ask for help, they would just try to fight on their own might. And eventually, the entire people of Israel were overtaken by the enemy. Okay, so we had the Persians, and we had the Babylonians, and and if you look through about a thousand years of different warring, you see all these different nations come through. Well, one particular king that kind of came through and kind of took over that entire region was King Nebuchadnezzar. You can even, you know, read historically about, you know, the, the Spartans and all these the Greeks and different ones trying to fight against this king. I mean, it's kind of like how we understand Napoleon in the last thousand years and what he did, or or Rome 2,000 years ago. Well, the Persians and the Babylonians kind of did the same type of thing where they just kind of took over whole regions. And what they would do is they'd go into a land, and unlike the Romans, they didn't just keep your religious areas. No, they, they destroyed the temple They took all the gold, they took everything that was sacred, and they also took all the wise advisors. People that knew how to read, people who knew advanced mathematics, people who understood how the stars worked. That was considered an asset, just like gold would have been. Because they didn't live in a time and era where there were public schools on every corner. So Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were all Jewish men who were very wise and very educated and had been trained from little on, not only in the ways of Jehovah, God of the Jewish people, but also in management and math and leadership and all of these things. And so Daniel writes down everything that happened to them when they had got taken And he also writes down different visions and prophecies that God gave him during that time. So in the Old Testament, you can find the book of Daniel, and it's all of his writings. 
And we, we looked at Daniel in the lion's den a few weeks ago and how the people around him didn't like the fact that he was so popular and the king's favorite, so they had said, you can't pray for one month to anybody but King Nebuchadnezzar. And he heard the news, and he went home and flew open his windows and faced towards Jerusalem, and he prayed to Jehovah anyway. He was like, okay, well, you go do whatever you want to do, but I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. I'm serving this king. I'm being the smart guy for him. I'm leading his people, but I will not stop serving God. And so we, he writes down the account, and we, and we looked at that, and, of course, God kept the lion's mouth shut, and he survived the night. He took his punishment, and he came back out, and the king was very happy that Daniel was still alive. But, again, we have short memories, and so we see here in Daniel chapter 3 where he gets this idea in his head, and he begins to impose it on the people. And it says in Daniel chapter 3 that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. So that would have been about 90 feet high and about 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So all of these government officials assembled for the dedication of this image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. He wanted the guys who ran his country and had to listen to him come. It doesn't say that he had the common people of that town come. He wanted to know that the people that he had taken from all these different lands, that now he's having them as a a government, are they faithful to me? is what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know. And so he has the herald loudly proclaim, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the music, all of the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold and King ne- that King ne- Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of this music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now this is what he wanted to find out. Are any of them going to refuse to do it my way? Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He was really trying to make the people understand, I don't care what God you serve, I am mightier. And everybody else believed that. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't look what was happening on the outside. They knew the truth. And they knew the Ten Commandments, that was the the foundation of all the laws that the Jewish people followed and how to have a society, and one of them was, do not put any idol before God. And they were not about to bow down to a golden idol. We see throughout the Old Testament that lots of times there would be Jewish advisors to kings, and they would say, you know, king, you know, I will honor you by the traditions of how we greet you by bowing down to you, but I am not bowing down to you because I think you're greater than God. I'm bowing down to you because of your position of authority. But this was an idol. And King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to say to all of them that my idol in my hand is more powerful than your God, and I want you to bow down to worship this statue of gold and they weren't going to. Let's see what happens here. I love how the enemy will say, how can your God rescue you from this? When we get into bad situations, that's what Satan's really trying to say to us, right? He's trying to say, like, don't put your hope in God. Don't, put, don't pray and ask him, what is he going to do about this? Most of the time he tries to convince us we're so shameful, we've done so much wrong that God won't help us. But that's not the truth. That's just a lie from the enemy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now this statement, folks, is the heart of the matter and has to be the heart of us us, when we face trouble. Our God is able. And he wants to deliver us. Sometimes he doesn't deliver us in the way that we tell him to deliver us or in the time he wants him to deliver us. But he is able, and he wants us delivered from whatever turmoil we find ourselves in. Because he promises us peace. He wants us to have joy. But even if he doesn't deliver us in the way that we are expecting, we will not stop serving him. We will not bow down to whatever the enemy wants us to bow down to. And most of us have a hard time with that. If God doesn't do it the way we want, we have a really hard time with that. What's interesting is, 
for any of you that are history buffs or have seen the movie Dunkirk, the Europeans were fighting against Germany during World War II, and the fighting had been mainly, you know, along the border between Germany and France and Austria. They had kind of come through. On the other side, Russia was fighting, but on the side near France, the English had gone over to French land and had been with the French soldiers trying to hold back the Germans. And unfortunately, the Germans kind of marched through France, and all of those soldiers rushed to the coast. And there's an English channel between France and England, and the Germans are coming, and they're going to kill them all. There was probably about 350,000 of them that had all been in France trying to hold the Germans back, and it was just, they couldn't do it, and they all ran to the coast. So they're at the coast, and the officials are trying to get a hold of the officials in England, and they are saying, send the ships, send the Navy, send them, and come get us off the coast, get us out of here, we'll hunker down in England, and we'll come back and fight another day. And the Army officials, the Navy guys were like, this is a trap. The Germans know where all of our infantry is, and if we send all of our Navy over, they're going to bring their planes over, they're going to bomb all of our boats, they're going to kill all of you, and then we will have no way of ever defeating the enemy. And we love you and we're sorry, but we can't send the Navy to come rescue you. In the natural, there's no way. But these men were raised in church. And they knew what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through. And they knew that they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And when they talked to the enemy, they said, Our God is able. We will not bow down. But even if he doesn't, we will still serve God. And so... The guys on the beaches all made a decision that they were going to pray. And they said, our army officials, our military in England won't come rescue us. The Navy can't come. But our God is bigger than the Germans. Our God is bigger than the Navy. And we are going to put our trust not in you guys because you guys said no. And we're going to put our trust in God. And so that when they telegraphed back, they said, but even if, from that passage, but even if God doesn't, we will still serve him. So even if you guys will come get us, our God, we will still serve him. And we're still going to pray. And we're going to still trust. The word got out in England that they weren't going to send any Navy ships to get them that the boys were asking for prayer because they said, even if you won't rescue us, even if God doesn't save us, we're still going to serve him, so pray. We're going to ask God now to do it. And it caused in the hearts of all the English people that lived along the coast to say, if they're willing to face the Germans all the way up there, and if the English Navy won't come and get them, and they will still serve God no matter what, we will try to help. 
in the 21-mile difference there between the coast of England and France became filled with yachts and pleasure boats and ferry boats and merchants and all of these boats, people with sailboats, everybody in England who heard, you need to pray for the boys because they said, even if nobody comes, we will still serve God. We're going to trust him to save us. Everybody hopped in their boat, and this massive evacuation began. And they, they went over, even though there were planes trying to bomb them, but we all know that you got a sailboat that you're trying to hit from the air that's a lot different than hitting a big battleship. And some were lost, but most of them, because they were smaller and the way they were coming across, were not hit. And they were able to rescue out of the 350,000 soldiers that were French and English that were fighting against the Germans, 338,000 by individuals who heard the message and stepped up. God had to have worked on the hearts of thousands of people who had boats, thousands to say, oh, yep, you, you see every day how U-boats are, are, you know, making huge problems with the, with the Navy and how they're going by and they're shooting them down. And, and you, haven't, you haven't registered to be in the Army or the Navy. You're just a regular person who up to this point has not tried to fight them. And all of a sudden that day, tens of thousands say, I'm going to get in a boat and I'm going to go face the Germans in my little sailboat and I'm going to go and get maybe 20 men and I'm going to come back. That's a miracle. That is God understanding what they were saying. But even if you don't, I will still serve you. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given a second chance. All they had to do was fall down. They could have justified it. They could have said, everybody was doing it. I was just honoring a pagan, guy, a pagan guy and his gods. It meant nothing. It's just a statue. God would have understood. I could have made another sacrifice the next day and been forgiven. But they said no. They said, even if our God doesn't save us, and today's the day we die, we will not bow down to this. And when we go through struggles and we lament, sometimes we say, I should just bow down to this. I should just give in to this. The struggle to fight against, maybe the temptation that's coming against me is too big. I'm just going to give in and I'll ask God for forgiveness tomorrow. What if God doesn't rescue me from this? What if he doesn't have a way? And, and some of us do, and, and God does forgive us. We, we have to live with the consequences of those choices while we're here on earth. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that moment said, we will not serve your gods or this idol. Our God can, and we believe he will, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
that Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God's. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. What I find interesting about this is this man was so arrogant that he wanted to watch them burn. He wanted to hear them scream. See, why the enemy comes against us? Why? He knows we're saved. He knows we're going to heaven when we die. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why do we have so many struggles over here on earth? He wants to hear us scream. He wants to see us burn. He wants to see us in torment. When you read through the, the book of Job, Satan was telling God, look at Job. He serves you because everything is all cushy. If some bad things happened to him, he would curse you. Satan wants to put us through so much torment that we curse God. What I find really interesting, that second song that Sarah's song talked about the name of Jesus. How beautiful is your name? Beautiful is your name. The name of Jesus Christ our Lord. What does Satan get us to do? Jesus Christ. Why did I do that? We curse his name. The movies of the 80s and early 90s, I have a hard time sometimes. They're the classics, right? But they, they spill the, the cup of milk. Oh, Jesus, they say. I always find it interesting. I'm, I usually watch sci-fi and space stuff, you know. And uh, there was one, I think it's called The Hundred. I don't remember the... It was on TV one time, and one of the people, they cursed, and they said, Jesus. And I was like, whoever wrote this film believes that, you know, a thousand years from now when civilization is done, we still know who Jesus is? We don't use curse words. Satan doesn't want us to curse and say something. Oh, we don't say, Roger. Oh, darn it, Roger. Roger, I did it again. Can you believe that? Roger, damn it. I mean, come on, Roger. Right? We don't do that, do we? Because you're not going to take a name in vain that has no power. You're not going to take a name in vain and curse it if it has no meaning. Satan 
His goal, just like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was to get somebody who serves God to curse God. And when we lament, we do have a moment of frustration and anger that we're in this situation. We're mad at God. Why did you even let this happen? And if we ended there, it would not be a lament. It would be a complaint. But the lament doesn't stop with a curse. The lament takes us to shift our focus, and then all of a sudden we go into hope. And we begin to ask God for help. His name is beautiful because there's power in his name. You might not see the Philistines around you, but there are demonic things around you that want to make your life miserable while you're here on earth. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, Mary, I don't really have anybody coming in and stealing from me. I lock my doors. Okay, but are there any demons? Are there any spirit of lust that's trying to get you to steal affection with your spouse and instead you pour it into the pornography at night? And then you don't really, you're not interested in a person who can't perform like that now? Did someone just steal the love that was supposed to be between you and your spouse? How about, you know, destroying your hope, depression, and frustration, and anger, and there are demonic forces out there that want to come against you, and that's why the name of Jesus is so powerful. When Jesus sent them out two by two, they weren't even super excited about the healing. I mean, we see one time when the disciples couldn't heal, and they went to Jesus and said, why couldn't we do it? We've always just used your name and people got healed. Why didn't it happen this time? Because it worked all the other times. But when they came back, you know, they had been healing. They had anointing people with oil, been healing in the name of Jesus. And it says they were also casting out demons. And they came back and they were astonished by what they were able to do. Because, you know, it wasn't just the little ones. It was like all of them. And when we used your name, we used the name of Jesus. They left. And we can use that name around us to tell them to leave. And what happens is, is when we put our trust in him, yeah, we lament, yeah, we know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't say, we want to go in the fire. Let us go in there, because we know we'll be fine. They said, eh, we got a God who will, who can, but even if he doesn't and we burn up, we will not serve you or those idols. So it says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar then approached and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. When we stand our ground and God shows up and people then are in awe, all of a sudden they begin to acknowledge, while you serve an almighty God. I remember when we opened up the doors here, there was somebody in the community that I respected, and I was super excited that I knew her and wanted to help. Well, I kind of had gotten word from somebody that was talking to her about this, how, you know, she didn't think it was going to work for us. She didn't think I'd be able to do it. And at first, I was kind of like, oh, she doesn't think it's going to work. 
you know, made me kind of feel sad, you know, like, like, oh, I really respect this person, and it makes me feel sad that she doesn't think we're going to be able to do it. But then it dawned on me, <laughs> I know what's going on. She thinks, I think I can do this. Well, yeah, that, it's not going to work. Because I'm not doing this by my might or my power. We're doing it by God's power. And so I had to just let that go and just keep on going and let God's power, you know, continue to make sure that the building came through and the lights were turned on and all this stuff happened, and it did. But what was interesting is years later I had run into her and she was like, you always said that God would come through. You always said that this would all come to be. And now when I see everything that the Dream Center is doing, I know that you are right, that God did it. And when you stand strong and you continue forward despite what other people say, they turn around and say, hey, you are a servant of the Most High God, and God did this for you. So they came out, and the royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. When you put your hope and your trust in God and you say, and even if you don't, I'm going to still walk through this because I'm not going to bow, I'm not going to give in, I'm going to keep walking through this, that's my goal, to get out the other side and there's no smell of smoke even on me. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their house, houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the province of Babylon. I just want to read you with Isaiah, and then, and then we'll go. I know I'm going over, but I just, I just love this. In Isaiah 43, starting in the middle of verse 1, it says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire... You will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So I don't know what feels like overwhelming or drowning or that you're just getting burned up and everything around you is being destroyed. And, and you might need to lament and you might need to get it out, but give it out to God. Talk to him about whatever situation you're in and put your hope and trust in him and ask him to help you. Remind him. Sometimes I have to remind God, you know. I mean, am I really reminding him or am I reminding me? But there'll be times I'll be praying and I'll be like, remember when you took care of this situation two years ago and the same thing happened? You need to do that today. Hello. You know how. You did it then. You can do it now. Sometimes I'll remind him, um, you're the God of the heavens and the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Hello, you made zebras and giraffes. I don't understand how a giraffe can exist. 
And when he leans down to eat his food, he doesn't get a headache. If I lean my head down too long, I get a headache. You figured out how to make a giraffe not have a headache, so you can figure this out. What am I saying? You are able. And saying, don't try to convince me he can't do it, because if he can make a giraffe, he can take care of this. Seriously, sometimes you got to remind yourself. I'm going to pray for all of you, because I don't know what situation you're in. And maybe you're not even in one right now. Maybe this is a good time in your life, and, and you just need to go home and just reflect on all the good things God has done for you. And make a little spot on a wall, maybe in your closet, maybe in your bedroom, maybe in your bathroom, maybe behind a door where nobody else will see it but you. And when the time of trouble comes, and it will come, I want you to stand in front of that wall of remembrance and say, my God is able. And get a sticky note and just write giraffe on it just for me. Like seriously, go to Wikipedia and read about how amazing a giraffe is and say, if God can create a giraffe, he can take care of my situation. Father God, we thank you. We praise you. We just love you so much. We ask you right now in the name of Jesus to help us. Help us in our situation that we find ourselves in. Help us to reflect on all that you have done for us that has been amazing, all the miracles you've done in our lives. And right now, we might feel like we're walking through a fire. We might feel like the floodwaters are coming over us, but they will not carry us away. We will not be overcome. Because you want to help us, you are able to help us, and even if you don't help us in the way that we want to be helped right now in this moment, we will still serve you. But help us, because it's hard. We ask you, Father God, to give us hope where we have only had sorrow. Bring healing where we have been wounded. Bring us peace where we have been anxious. We trust you, and we put our hope in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Eric, if you can just leave everything on that soundboard the way it is, don't touch anything, that'd be great. And I want to remind everybody that tonight the guys are meeting in the fellowship hall at 6 o'clock. So if you're not doing anything tonight at 6, definitely come on down and enjoy some amazing what do we call it? Boiled dinner? But it's the corned beef and potatoes and it's all yummy stuff. God bless everyone. Have a great day.